Hello everyone, I'm Heather Ward, Senior Manager of Content Strategy at SCA, and you're listening to the SCA Podcast. Today's episode is part of our SCA Lecture Series, dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at SCA's Specialty Coffee Expo and World Coffee Events. Check out the show notes for relevant links and a full transcript of today's lecture. This episode was recorded live at the 2018 Specialty Coffee Expo in Seattle. Visit coffeeexpo.org to learn more about this year's schedule of lectures and get your tickets. Each of us at some point in our coffee education have been exposed to the coffee brewing control chart. This classic chart was developed in the 1950s by Ernest Lockhart and his colleagues through research at the Coffee Brewing Institute. It displays the relationship between percent extraction and total dissolved solids at a given brewing ratio. Additionally, various acceptability zones were overlaid, describing the expected cup sensory experience with an ideal zone indicated in the middle. Although relevant in its time, this classic chart lacks applicability in the current brewing climate. Given modern brewing techniques, shifting consumer preference, and increased demand for unique coffee, how can we better develop this chart? Current research is underway to explore this question. Through the use of chemical measures, both quantitative and consumer sensory analysis, the classic chart is receiving a revitalization. Today's lecture from Dr. Scott Frost presents some of the history and development of the classic chart before exploring the realm of ongoing research, hoping to renovate this icon. Scott Frost is a postdoctoral scholar at UC Davis Coffee Center. Prior to studying coffee, Scott completed his doctoral studies evaluating the chemical drivers of wine flavor. He brings a wealth of knowledge on relating measures of chemistry to sensory perception. Also, I'll occasionally jump in to help explain what's going on. We recommend listening to this with a copy of the brewing control chart in front of you. There's a link in this episode description. We'll let Scott take it from here. But welcome, everyone. I'm uh, extremely pleased to see you all here this morning, and I'm pleased to uh, be introducing this session. My name is Peter Giuliano. I'm the Chief Research Officer for the Specialty Coffee Association. And um, I'll be introducing uh, Dr. Frost as well as this uh, research, which we've been um, really uh, excited about um, supporting with the, uh, with the support of... Uh, of Breville, who's been um, very instrumental in helping us um, make this happen. So I won't speak for very long other than to introduce uh, Dr. Frost. Scott Frost is, is uh, um, at the UC Davis Coffee Center, where he leads this research and where it's been going for about a year now and, um, and will be um, ongoing over the next coming uh, months. So um, I'm very pleased to have um, him here, and I'm looking forward to the presentation. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Scott Frost. So uh, thank you, Peter. Uh, I have to say that it's been quite a pleasure to work with the SAA and to work with Peter. Uh, They've been very supportive in helping Davis establish their their coffee brewing center. So today I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about the brewing control chart. Um, So to start with... This is the brewing control chart that comes out of the SCA handbook in 2011. And so a quick, a quick wrap-up of what the brewing control chart is and the information that it gives us. So it gives us the relationship between total dissolved solids, so the strength of the coffee, 
and the yield, the, the extraction from the bed of coffee that's within the filter. And in conjunction with the dose, it allows you to get a brewing index. Um, so for this particular talk, I'm not going to focus on the lines that go along with it. If you're interested in learning more about the mathematics behind the chart, I recommend you pick up Dr. Rissenpart and Dr. Kuhl's uh, book called The Design of Coffee. Um, but I'm going to talk to you today about the history of the chart and a little bit about some of the sensory that we're looking at in relationship to the chart. So I, I think with the chart, we need to start with Lockhart. And he's, he's not the first person to do coffee. And he's not the first person at MIT to do coffee either. But he was born in 19, 1912, grew up in Boston, grew up in Boston in a house that his father built, uh, graduated from MIT in 1938 with a PhD in biochem. He also has a master's and a undergraduate degree from MIT, so quite successful in his gathering of uh, diplomas. In uh, 1939, he went to Stockholm, Sweden on like some type of postdoctoral fellowship. And then in 1939, he joined the United States Antarctic Service Exposition and went on this uh, one-year or two-year, uh, I guess, exploration of the Arctic, um, where he was the physiologist stationed at the West Base near the Bay of Wales. Uh, during this time, he managed to get a mountain named after him. I was discussing this earlier with one of the attendees. But so after he finished his exploration, uh, he came back to MIT and joined the, what is effectively the food science department. So he was, he was a food scientist before joining the, the CBI. So he was there from 41 to 55 at MIT. Uh, he does have publications in coffee prior to starting as the, at the CBI. Um, I think his, on a quick, quick, quick search, I think his most cited publication is on tortilla chips. Uh, so he worked on other products before coffee, uh, Orange juice and tortilla chips were the two that come to mind right now. So, but now, now, coffee, coffee. So in 1955, he became the scientific director of the Coffee Brewing Institute. And that's kind of where our story, story begins. So the CBI, or the Coffee Brewing Institute, was established in 1952 by the Pan-American Coffee Bureau and the National Coffee Association. Uh, and its purpose was to encourage, through research, the improvement of coffee as a beverage. Um, and this is a, small, a short excerpt that he gave um, to the 1958 NCA convention in New Orleans, uh, stating a whole host of reasons why coffee needs research. So even back then, in 1958, the scientific community was still saying the same thing, coffee needs research. So moving on. So Lockhart at the CBI. Um, and this is the publication that came out in 1957 that is the basis for the chart. Um, it's quite an impactful publication. Uh, it's the soluble solids in the beverage coffee as an index to cup quality. And it's this publication where they outline the brewing control chart. So within that publication, this is the chart as it is published in that book. And so we have <clears throat> the soluble solids in the brewing formula with extraction as the lines. And so as you can see, there's two boxes in there. And so within the context of the chart, there's a lot of uh, talk about the ideal box of what we see. So in his publication, he cites two boxes. And the first one came from the brewing committee from the NCA. Um, and they determined that the ideal box for brewing coffee is 
from 0.104 to 1.39 TDS and 17.5 to 21.2 percent extraction. And a second place that he cites is from the Midwest Research Institute, and they have a, a tighter box from 1.15 to 1.35 and 18.22. And this is the familiar box that I think we're all aware of. So I really was curious about, so for me, I was really curious as a sensory scientist about the verbiage that came on the chart. And so I was looking for, I apologize for the quality of this figure, it's, it's pulled out of a, an older publication. Um, I was curious about the verbiage that came along with the chart. And so this is a, a snip from uh, a, a coffee trade rag called Coffee and Tea Industries from June of 1959. And the CBI published pretty much all their research first into these uh, trade rags, either uh, Coffee and Tea or Tea and Coffee, the Journal of Coffee, and their industry-facing publications from the 50s and 60s. And they go back even further than that. I think this one here was originally called Spices, which goes back to like the 1850s or something like that. Quite, quite, quite a ways in the back. So this was the first publication from 1959 that had the verbiage on it, the words. And it's a publication where Lockhart's talking about the coffee hydrometer. Um, and that came out as a way for people to measure the TDS in their coffee using a hydrometer, which is specific gravity, so the, the, floating, glass, the floating glass tube. Uh, within this chart, we can see that the ideal box was defined by the Midwest Research Institute, and the verbiage was added, the strong bitter, underdeveloped, and weakness. So I guess the next thing that we want to know is, what did the CBI do with this chart? It's 1959. What did they do with this chart? So within that 1957 publication, there is this very particular paragraph, and I'm going to read the, the snip from it. So he's talking about the two, the two boxes here. So the similarity between the findings of these two groups, so the NCA and the Midwest Research Institute, working on the chemical characteristics and preparative requirements of a cup of coffee that is most acceptable to a consumer is hardly coincidental. So he's saying that He's not surprised that these two independent bodies came up with the same box, more or less. These results have been supported by the judgment of many coffee and restaurant men who have watched the brewing demonstration sponsored by the Coffee Brewing Center throughout the country and who have had an opportunity to compare the flavor of coffee prepared according to the recommended, the recommend, the recommended procedures uh, against using water or over-extracted brews. So the entire point of the chart, from my understanding of the reading of this, these older literatures is they wanted people to stop over-extracting coffee, running it back with water, twice brewing. Uh, they wanted people to make coffee of a proper, of a proper consistency, of a, of a proper strength. So it seems that the chart, is the way I'm feeling about it, was more or less kind of a marketing tool. And that's, uh, and I'll give you some, some more information about why, why I'm leaning in that direction initially. So this is CBI number five. Um, it's a survey of brewing brew coffee from 1955. And what they did, and this is something that I'm using this as an example to show what they did with the chart and as it, a marketing. So they went around to three different cities across the country, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, to 24 different restaurants within, within each city and asked 100 customers at each of these restaurants what they thought about coffee. 
Do you like coffee? How much coffee do you drink? How much do you like this coffee that's in front of you? They had 2,300... Uh, oh, so overall... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. They did that twice. First, they did it with using the procedure that the restaurant currently uses to make coffee. Then they came back six months later and said, no, no, do it our way. Make the coffee the way that we're saying it. And then they compared the two data. And of course, everyone says that the coffee is better if you brew it as opposed, if you brew it the way the CVI says to do it. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. They show up and they say, you have to brew the coffee this way, they, and people like it. So that's really the basis of uh, what they did with the chart. So in addition to these types of you know, road shows or surveys that they did, there was this huge uh, marketing campaign too. And so this came out of that same journal, the Coffee and Tea Industries, um, talking about the secret to good coffee. And they put all these recipes on exactly how to make coffee uh, in books, on, on cans, right on the can. Uh, there's even this video from 1961. This is coffee. I recommend you, when you get out of here, go ahead and Google that video up and watch all 12 minutes of it. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and pamphlets. And don't forget the little red CBI measures, the cups and whatnot. And also, too, there was always a give us money part with most of these ads, too, which implied that the CBI was soliciting money from the industry to do research and continue to do this type of stuff. So... That's kind of the history of the chart, kind of in a nutshell. There's still things that I'm looking for as it opposed to development of the chart, the use of the words and, and whatnot. And it, we can talk about that later if you guys would like after we're all done here. But, so, but, but, but moving on. So the, the, chart, the chart in and of itself, if we look at this one, so this is the one from the SCA handbook, and this is the best copy that I, I have access to. Uh, we, can, we can see with the words... The verbiage on the chart is it's a mashup of words. Most of them really uh, are more or less industry jargon. So we have this ideal box, which is this preference box that we're told to brew our coffee with in here. And the only true taste word on the chart is, is bitter. I mean, other than that, none of these words are actually words that mean anything regarding taste. Um, and this developed term for an outsider like me, that's, that's industry jargon. That doesn't really mean anything to anybody that's not in the industry. So when you look at the chart for what it is, it really is a tool to teach people about brewing coffee. But what we really want to know is we want to know how does flavor change along those lines. I think that's where we're at now, and I think that's why I'm here on stage to, try to, to talk a little bit about. So how does flavor change? How does flavor and aroma change in relationship to the, to the chart, to the, to the lines, to the brewing index. And so, sensory science, that's, that's me. So, uh, so, so what is sensory science? So sensory science is a scientific discipline used to evoke, measure, analyze, and interpret re uh, reactions to those characteristics of foods and materials as they are perceived by the senses of sight, smell, touch, taste, and hearing. It's defined in 1975 by the uh, Institute of Food Scientists. So... It's an integration of neurophysiology, physiology, psychology, statistics, product evaluation, consumer information, all these things to study how people taste, what people taste, what they like, um, and develop products to suit consumers. Um, so I'm going to walk through kind of some of the ideas of 
planning, sensory science, and how we use sensory science in an academic setting. So we really need to start off with a question when we're talking about sensory. You know, is there a difference between two products? What's that difference? What's the sequence of the differences? If I have multiple products, do they increase with whatever attribute that I'm, that I'm interested in? The size of the difference? And does the difference exist in multiple dimensions? And I think that's where we're at now, is if we have a, two different cups of coffee, and we're talking about different flavor attributes, the intensity of those flavor attributes will be different because they're two different cups of coffee. That's why we're here. We all love coffee. So, and uh, always time, too. And that's also important for coffee, which I stuck that in there, too, is how does it change as it sits there? How do these products change? So, in order to do any type of scientific uh, research, you need a hypothesis, some type of if-then statement to begin to formulate your idea. Um, and sensory science really is at its best, at its strongest, with experimental design. And so we talk about design, we talk about factors. Um, so if we were looking at roast and grind, and we'll talk about, I'll talk about the factors from my experiment here in a couple of slides. Levels of factors, so multiple levels of roast, multiple uh, strengths of the coffee. Um, controlling your experimental conditions. So when we taste back at Davis, we have very precise controlled booths that we put our tasters in. We control the light, the humidity, and everything that they see while they're in there. Getting them to specifically uh, rate a very specific part of the product that we're trying to have them do. Uh, and of course, quantitative and qualitative measures of sensory. So the differences between consumer studies, which would be qualitative, how much do you like it, as opposed to quantitative, being, is there a difference between the intensity of a given attribute, a numerical difference? Uh, and of course, you get, you get down to it, sensory is all about statistics, trying to find significant differences between attributes of, of products. Um, okay, so the project I want to talk to you about today. So how do specific sensory attributes change in respect to the brewing control chart? So the hypothesis, so if coffee is brewed at different index positions, then perceived sensory will change. So I'm going to talk to you today about a, an experiment that we looked at coffee, uh, geometry, so the brewing geometry, uh, and grind. And we had two levels within each of these factors, so a dark roast and a light roast, a flat bottom and a conical, and two grind settings on our, on our Guatemala in the lab. Uh, and if you consider all levels of these three factors, you get eight different coffees that we brewed. So moving a little bit further, so the coffee, we had two coffees, the dark roast and light roast, and I provided the agtron scores for these two coffees, uh, and the geometry. And so we used the Breville Precision Brewer because you can pop that cone in and out, and that allowed us to brew the coffee using the same brewing parameters, so, so the same pulsing sequences from the head, the same temperatures that the, the brewer is delivering. And we use the, the gold cup setting on the brewer for all our brews. Um, and the grind. We two settings, uh, setting three, defined as Melita on this inst uh, grinder, and then perk as a percolator. And so we, the sensory method that we're looking at doing is what's called descriptive analysis, trying to find quantitative differences between these eight different coffees. Um, so I'm going to run through. The, yes, sir. An attendee is asking whether they're using the same water in all of the experiments. Mm, yeah, same water. Same water. Yeah, we actually have RL water, and we added some salts to it to keep it the same. Yes, sir. An attendee is asking whether the coffee is the same 
with the difference being one is dark roast and the other is a light roast? No, sir. They are two different coffees, two different roasters, two different origins. They are two different coffees. Okay, so descriptive analysis. Descriptive analysis is a method that we can use to gather quantitative differences between treatments, between our different coffees. And so it involves training judges, developing the lexicon with which we will use to describe the products, experimental design in, in these controlled, controlled conditions. So the first thing that we do is we got our eight coffees together, brought our judges in, and we asked them to taste the coffees. I presented them with the coffee aroma wheel, which is pretty cool, and let them determine which words describe the coffees that they're tasting. As a panel leader, I remain impartial. I don't give them much input. It's because it's not my choice. It's their choice. Uh, all the terminology was panel generated. And they taste through these coffees, and they come up with the words that they're going to use to describe these coffees. And the good thing about the uh, coffee wheel is that it comes with a recipe for all the different attributes with it already, which is great. So I prepped up the references, presented the references to the panel, and they said, okay, this is in the coffee, this is not, this is not the right reference, change it to this one. And the idea is, is that we're coming up with a list of words, a lexicon, to describe our product set, and everyone is in agreement on the standards that I've prepared to describe the coffees. So once everyone is in agreement, we ended up with uh, 26 different attributes. And so this is not the best slide, it's just a bunch of words. And I was about 90%, my recipes for my standards were about 90% overlap with what's in the WCR uh, standard handbook, because that's what it's called, the standard handbook, yes, sorry. Okay, so I have my panelists, I have my words, I have my coffees in the booth. And so at Davis, we have these really nice booths, and you can see the, the door at the back of the picture there, and I would present them with a coffee, one at a time, and they scored the data on an iPad. Uh, the service, yes, sir. An attendee is asking what the steeping cup temperatures were that were presented to the judges. Was there a band or particular range? So the way that we brewed the coffee is I brewed them in series. And so I brewed one coffee and served it to all the panelists. And so I waited for the coffee to reach about 70C and popped it to them. So it was cooling off. So the, each treatment had a different temperature right after brew, but I didn't serve the coffee until it was the same temperature. And since I served one coffee at a time, so we, had, we have five booths, and so we would prepare the coffee, put it on, the, on the, these brown trays and set it in front of the booth and we measured it with a thermocouple and when it reached temperature it slid it in there. So the idea was is that the panelists saw the same temperature of coffee. Um, so yeah, so we also collected TDS and percent extraction of every single coffee that we brewed. So overall for this experiment we had 12 judges. Each judge tasted each coffee three times, so three replicates for 26 taste attributes. And they, like as I said, they scored it all on iPad on a 100-point or a 100-point scale. So in the end, this is what that data looks like. This is uh, a spreadsheet showing judges down the side and attributes along the top corner. So this is what raw sensory data looks like, a big, giant spreadsheet of numbers. I have 26 different attributes. So when we do sensory analysis, one thing that we 
can do is we want to be able to display that data, take all that data and boil it down into one picture so that we can see relationships between the coffees and the attributes. And so that's what this is. This is a, this is a canonical variate analysis, which takes in and makes uh, a map of each of those treatments as it relates to all those different uh, taste attributes. So I wanted to go through this with you guys pretty slow. I'm hoping that as, as we move forward with sensory, you guys will see a whole lot more of this type of analysis. And also for chemical measures and any type of, of very large data, this is a good way to display that type of data. So we can see along the bottom axis, which says CAN1 in 62.53, and along the Y, 22.86. So if you add those two numbers together, that's about 80%. So we look at that and we say between the X and the Y, about 80% of the variability within my sensory data is captured. So we can also look at the, we want to see the positions of the individual coffees and how they relate to each other. So the closer they are together, the more related they are, and the further apart they are, the less related they are. So as we can see, so I put some acronyms up there. So LR for light roast, FB for flat bottom, five, three and five are the grind. So our light roast flat bottoms occupied that top quadrant. The dark roast flat bottoms occupied the other top quadrant on the right-hand side, and, and so forth. Light roast conical on the bottom, dark roast conical on the other side. So what, what can we say about this stuff? So the first thing that we can say is along that primary component, the first component, roast was the primary driver that separated the treatments. And we can see this because all the light roasts are on one side and all the dark roasts are on the other side. Pretty intuitive. So these are, they should be very intuitive when you start to really look at what they're, how the positioning of the individual products are. And we can see that geometry separated within the second component. So we have the flat bottoms at the top, conicals at the bottom. And then grind separated within, within the individual uh, geometries. So we can see the, the two, three, and five together. Yes, sir. An attendee is asking, who are the roasters they used to roast these coffees? We got roasted from, we got beans from Pete's and Starbucks. An attendee is suggesting the different results up on the brewing chart could be a result of the fact that these are two different coffees. Absolutely, absolutely. So the way that roast is the way that we determined it, but it could be, I could just have put coffee also. I could have, I could have put the coffee A, coffee B too. It could have been the same thing. Um, one of the coffees, the light roast coffee, actually had a, an origin association with it. It's from Colombia, and the other one, I think, is a, is a blend. So, okay. Uh, so the, the, next, the next piece that comes along with these types of plots um, is the loadings, the, the verbiage that we use, the sensory attributes that each individual panelist scored. And so the way that these work is usually the, these vectors, these arrows, describe a, a particular position within the XY plane. So for example, we have dried fruit pointing up in the left. So anything that's in that dried fruit area is described by dried fruit. And so usually they're plotted together, but I, I, I blew up the arrow so that we can see them a little bit better for presentation. So we can see that floral, raisin, berry, citrus points down towards the light roast cones. The dried fruit sweet points up to light roast baskets and so forth, musty, dusty, earthy, to the dark roast baskets, and this tobacco rubber bitter down into the, the dark roast cones. So overall, I think if you look at this, we can say, yeah, these, this makes sense. These 
treatments separate in a way that is logical, that makes sense to us. They're separated by roast, or they're separated by coffee. They're separated by the geometry, and then they're separated by the grind. Everything so far makes sense. So I look at that and I say, this, is, this would be the view from space, as if we look way up at the data, so far things look good. So we can take a step further in, and I can ask, what's the difference if I compare the factors? So I had three factors, right? I had roast, geometry, and grind. So if I compare the four roasted coffees, the light roast versus the dark roast head-to-head, I can ask, well, what's, what was the impact on taste and flavor that way? And so, yeah, roast was huge. That, those two different coffees, as, as it was just mentioned, um, they were the primary drivers of the data set. Uh, the geometry, so the cone gave us higher citrus, higher tobacco, higher of this burnt wood ash character, higher rubber, higher sourness, and higher bitterness. And the basket gave a sweeter coffee. So, but now, all right, so let's get, let's get down to the, to the regression portions here. So what about the brewing control chart? So I, like I said, I measured the TDS of all these coffees. So I had nine measures of TDS per coffee. Uh, the nine comes from because it took me nine pots of coffee to get everyone through with my booths and the experimental design. So I had nine measures for each individual coffee. So I had 72 total measures. I also measured, oh, that's right. So one thing that I wanted to point out about these is that the dark roast coffee had a different interaction with grind than the light roast coffee. And I wanted to point that out. We can see that. We can see that, that grind showed a small effect on dark roast between the settings of, this, of our grinder as opposed to light roast. And I also measured percent extraction. So I TDS and percent extraction for all my coffees. So I can kind of like fold those up and put them into the brewing control chart, right? I can plot those two right against each other. And they line right up on the line, just as you would expect. So the real, the real question is, 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 back to the first start, how does sensory change as we slide up and down one of the lines on the brewing control index? And so I can fit a model, a regression model, against that. And it turns out, Turns out there's 12 individual attributes that were significantly changed as we moved along the brewing index positions. And so a little bit of uh, orientation on these charts here. So this is the area within the box on the brewing, <clears throat> excuse me, on the brewing control chart. And so as we can see, smoke aroma increased, brown aroma increased, sourness and bitterness increased as you moved up the brewing control line. And dried fruit flavor decreased, and we saw a decrease in sweetness with these particular coffees. So <clears throat> let, me, let me zoom in one more step and have a look just at the bitterness. So if we take and we plot all 12 judges, all three replicates for all eight coffees on an X and a Y against the, the perceived intensity of bitterness against the brewing index, it's 288 values that was collected on bitterness for these eight coffees. I can, I can fit a line with that. Significant increase in bitterness. But what we also did is we included roast as a factor. So if I take and color these coffees by roast, we can begin to see that just on visual inspection, you can see that in this case, the red points, the dark roast coffee, it was higher. And it was significantly higher. So we saw a significant correlation of roast and light roast 
for these particular treatments. And so what that really sees, what that really shows is that bitterness changed differently by roast as it moved along the lines. So bitterness isn't operating the same way by coffee. It's, it's coffee dependent. Um, and so if we look at that for all the different coffees, we can see that so things like dark green and brown roast flavor weren't affected by roast, but they did increase as we moved up the brewing index. Um, so no significant differences between the roasted characters for dark green and brown roast, but we did see sourness and bitterness. And so with sourness and bitterness, sourness increased at a faster rate for light roast than it did for the dark roast. So to, to try to wrap up some of this stuff here, so roast. Roast was a huge driver of sensory, and each attribute showed a different relationship with the brewing index. As it moved up and down the line, uh, attributes didn't behave the same. Geometry. So we saw a significant effect on the brewing index as a relationship to TDS. The conical produced a higher TDS than the basket did for this particular brewer for this particular experiment, which really gives a thing like we need more research on uh, brewing geometry, on spray head geometry, bed depth, all these parameters that people talk about for brewing coffee, um, and how do they specifically relate to sensory. Yes. An attendee is asking whether they have data on the contact time between the coffee and the water. No, we don't. We did measure the temperature distribution. So we had a thermocouple in the, in the brew basket, but I don't have the actual pulsing sequence that they used from the Breville Brewer that we had. Uh, that's one thing that we're beginning to look at in another experiment is the effect of contact time and the difference between like pulsing on and pulsing off. Uh, I think you tasted my coffees at, the, at Rico. Uh, we were looking at the... An attendee is asking, which is brewing fast, just by looking? Oh, the basket is, is brewing faster. So uh, that's, that's all I have. So let's, let's talk. I have some other slides that I can show if people have questions about data and other things. But, uh, An attendee is asking if both grind settings are represented on the graph. Yes, yeah. I can facet this by grind setting if we would like to see that too. So, okay, so that's like this. So the same brewing control chart, right? The plus is conical, the open is the flat bottom, and the light roast and the dark roast at the two individual settings. And so you can, you can see the effect of the setting sliding in and out of the box. I also have the, the grind distribution too for the, the, the coffees from the, so we went, down to Alameda, and Pete's let us use their laser diffraction analyzer, which was pretty cool. I did like that. Uh, so the distribution, and, and you brought up a very good point, Enrico, the other day about we now are measuring these distributions, but what does it really mean for sensory? And so that's, I have the distribution, and that's where I'm at now. So, yeah. An attendee is asking, in the data collection and when they were looking at the statistical designs, did they look at the correlating factors between the roast and the amount of impact it had on bitterness? And did they come up with any statistical evaluations? We, we did. So we actually use analysis of covariance. I actually did three models from the data that I have here. So one's an ANOVA, and then one is ANOVA by factors. And then the other one is analysis of covariance, where we use the, the brewing index 
as a continuous variable within that model too, to try to relate the intensity of the attribute to the brewing index. An attendee is asking whether they'll be publishing any of these findings. It, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, it'll, we're putting together a manuscript for the Journal of Food Science. But yeah, it, it will get by. Yes. <laughs> yes. An attendee is asking what temperature of the coffee they normally use when getting a TDS reading using a refractometer. In their company, it sometimes fluctuates a little bit, so they take the hot and ambient temperature and use both readings. So the way that, so we actually have had this debate in our lab, debate on the word for for, but we're moving into uh, trying to make a consistent measurement of TTS. And so right now, the way that we are doing it is we're getting vials, like a 20 mil vial, and filling it with 15 mils of, of coffee, capping it and letting it cool. That's where we're at now. These measures were done similar to that in a 50 mil beaker with a watch glass until it cools off. Um, if I think if I remember right, the manual for the VST, we use the VSTs for these measurements, which is, which is pretty cool, but uh, it got to be within like 10 or 15 degrees of the water that you use to standardize to zero the instrument, if I remember right. But yeah, so you have to have it cooled off. Um, yeah. Yes, sir. An attendee is asking whether Scott's seeing the batch brewer basket designs change away from the flat bottom design. No, not at all. Not at all. I think that one thing that I look at this data set and I wonder, okay, so we had, we had the conical that brewed a little bit higher along the brewing index and the flat bottom was down here. We need to flip it now and see how does that affect sensory. So is it really just being along the index and it doesn't really matter about the basket shape? So I think we need to be able to brew the other way, brew conical at the lower brew index and brew the basket at the higher index and see how that affects sensory. And that I think will give us a little bit more information about the true impact of the geometry. But as we see right here, um, there was, it was definitely a significant impact from what we saw. But no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't push one geometry over the other with the data that I have here. Yes, please. An attendee is asking for clarification. On the chart are two data points, a higher TDS result with the flat bottom and the lower TDS with the conical. They're asking whether they can manipulate that by varying so I, the grind size. I think so... The, the way that this sensory experiment was done is all those factors were the same, and they just that's the way that the coffee brewed. And you're right. In order to flip that, we'd, in this particular experiment, we would have to uh, alter grind size could be a way to do it, alter some type of um, uh, way to keep the coffee retained longer, with, keep the water retained longer within the flat bottom. But another thing we could also do is maybe, get, uh, maybe use a different brewer to get a different basket, uh, or a different cone from a different brewer or something like this. Um, but within the way that we brew the coffee now, we would definitely have to change the factor to get them to flip. So we'd have to really think about a way to get at that, to keep as many of the factors consistent to get them to flip. One attendee asks, if Scott has enormous pots of money to work with, what would he research next? Oh, the million-dollar question. This is what they, they tell you you're supposed to be able to answer for faculty positions. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so, wow, that's, I, I, one thing that I think would be really cool to do would be that if you could take and design, maybe 3D print a number of different geometry shapes, and then you could, uh, oh, yeah, 
Perfect. Perfect. There you go. Uh, I absolutely have to thank the, the people in my lab. We thank the Specialty Coffee Association. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Peter, Peter keeps me... <laughs> Peter keeps me alive. This is not the first time. <laughs> I, owe you, I owe you beers, Peter. I'm sorry. <laughs> Scott caught up with the, the talking. Um, I, yeah, I think it would be really cool if you could... Because then you could do something maybe like you could start with a perfect cylinder and then open it up or something like this and have it come to a cone. Maybe brew, have, I don't know, six or seven different things. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a multitude of different things that you can do to try to figure this out. Um, this particular cone is not actually a true conical. It's a semi-conical. So it's like kind of taco-ish. Um, so there's, there's other parameters with, with, with which to look at. Peter Giuliano is saying what he finds impressive is the clear correlations in sensory outcomes using the brewing control chart. So for example, if a drinker likes a certain flavor, you can use the brewing control chart to say a flat bottom brewer is what you need. An attendee then asks whether it would be possible for the brewing control chart to know how different types of coffees and different roasts will perform on the brewing control chart. You could get to a position where you could input this information and then expect certain flavor outcomes using the brewing control chart. I, so I, that's something that I've pondered about too because, I mean, if you really get down to it, there's an infinite number of coffees. There's an infinite number of roasts for those infinite number of coffees. And so, as Peter said, I think that you can take in fine generalities and move in a general direction. Um, but for, like, I don't know, my, my way way. I, that might be re really, really specific. Um, and also, too, at, at, at that level, maybe people don't necessarily need a box. I think that um, as I become more and more engaged with this community, people are fiercely independent, and they're going to brew coffee as they want. And I encourage you to continue to do that. And um, so maybe, maybe the, idea, the idea of an ideal box isn't ideal. You know, maybe we need to have the lines without the box so that we can understand how the, how the TDS and the section work as a training tool and some, some, some basic attributes, sweet, sour, bitter, some general um, taste flavors and how those move, but really specific things too. We'll, we'll, we'll see. An attendee is saying he finds the box useful because he can show staff a recipe and show how the flavor outcome will be towards the middle of the box, which general consensus says it's good flavor outcome. Another attendee is asking what kind of collaborations they're working on with UC Davis, especially from an engineering standpoint. So the, the coffee center, and I think Peter may have a better understanding of the those types of collaborations than I do. Um, my research was funded by Breville and, and the SEA, and they are starting additional projects now. Um, but, yeah, so the coffee center is within chemical engineering, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. Peter Giuliano jumps in to say the coffee center is part of the chemical engineering department. It's a collaboration between engineering and sensory disciplines. An attendee then asks, why did Scott choose to use mass spectrometry? I, th I think it was something that the funders were interested in to start with. And so, but basically... He had to start somewhere. Yeah. The attendee then asks what prior publications were there when looking at brewing geometries. Not yet. 
Not, not yet. I, I'm sure there's studies out there on it somewhere, but I haven't specifically found. I know that Lockhart has some stuff on bed depth and, and whatnot, but that's most of those CBI journals. One thing that also I didn't mention is those CBI journals are non-refereed publications, and so they published some of that stuff got published into like the Journal of Food Science and whatnot, um, and that's available. Um, the CBI journals are difficult to find. Um, I found a lot of information not in the CBI journals. One other thing I found interesting, too, is that that classic publication from 57, when you pull it as a CBI manual, it's from 1970. And so they published this stuff into the trade regs to start with. And so you, that's difficult to get hold, a hold of. Um, as for current research on, on brewing geometry, there are some like theoretical mathematical models, I think, but uh, no sensory that I can come up with that's, pu that's published. An audience member is suggesting that geometry is a secondary factor. They mentioned that matching the TDS to other coffees might shift the profile. I, I, can, I can say that with the data that we had, the, the number of factors that were significant just by moving along the index independent of the, of the factors was, was huge. That was Dr. Scott Frost at Expo in 2018. Remember to check our show notes for a full transcript of this lecture and visit coffeeexpo.org for tickets to this year's event. This has been an episode of the SCA podcast. Thank you for joining us.